This is Finding Sparkle, Chasing Light, and I'm your host, Nicole Brienne. week I photographed my first event since the pandemic and since having a baby. So that was really cool. Um, It was for an agency that represents influencers and I met some really incredible people. Um, And of course, naturally, I went on social media after to sort of try and find all these people I'd met online And I watched this reel and it was so cool because this person was posting all about how anxious they were for this event and all about how like they're super socially anxious and all the things that they were doing to help prepare themselves for to go to this event and, you know, the self-care and feeling afraid but going anyway. And I just thought how cool it is that the term influencer has changed so much. It used to be, you know, super thin, beautiful, mostly women who were glorifying their lives. They were like showing the best fashion, the best lifestyles, the best travel, the best lattes. And it wasn't very real and it wasn't necessarily authentic And now there's this like space for people to be their true self. And I just think that is so cool. Um, And not that there's not a place for, you know, lattes and travel. Of course there is. But I love that that it's broadened to allow and encourage, you know, people to be able to share about being anxious and struggling with mental health and struggling with chronic illness and, you know, all these different things that are, that should be so normal, but weren't really in that space. So that was really cool. Last night, I was also booking flights for New York, which is really fun. I'm going back to shoot Alt Summit, which is like this incredible conference. If you followed me for a while, you've definitely seen me post about it, but it's like a conference and a community for mostly women. And once a year, we all gather and to connect and learn and be inspired. I've been several times now, which is wild. The first year I went, I didn't know anyone other than like people I followed on social media. And I didn't even really have my business yet. I just kind of like was just starting, but it was really cool because no one knew me and no one knew that I was just starting. So I was able to sort of like wear the hat as an entrepreneur where in at home, it's harder to like embrace this new role when you don't know anyone, you can just like be whoever you want to be. So that was really fun. And then I also had have been back as a speaker And most notably, I am the photographer and have been for the last few years. So it's actually the last place I was before the pandemic hit. It had kind of just started. It was March 2020, like the end of February, early March, I think. And a lot of people were like, that conference is still happening. And sure enough, we gathered, we couldn't find hand sanitizer really anywhere in sight. And there was no such thing as masks yet. But I think we did a lot of like elbow to elbow, like that was a thing. It was like the don't touch your face time. 
Anyway, it's coming back just for one day this year in New York City. So there's like a gifting party the night before. And then on the Friday, Friday, October 7th, um, it's like a full day on like in this beautiful venue on the water. And I am just so excited. And because I am basically part of the alt family now, or at least self-proclaimed anyway, um, they actually gave me a discount code. So if any of you want to come to Alt Summit in New York City, it's over Canadian Thanksgiving. So you can stay for the long weekend after. And flights were actually really cheap on Porter. Um, you can use the code ARNYC12. I'll put it in the show notes, but I'd love for you to come. I'd love to see you there. It's honestly just such an inspiring place. And um, I've met such amazing people and friendships and they've stood the test of time. I mean, we see each other physically once a year and then we haven't for the last two years, two and a half years. And yet it'll still feel like we just pick up where we left off. And it's, they are like the first to support my endeavors. They are the first to like rally behind anything I do. And that's just such an incredible gift. Oh, and I should say, clearly I don't do this often. The code gets you $50 off. So 50 US dollars. So, um, yeah, let me know if you do decide to join and we will for sure have to meet up. Today on the podcast, I am talking about my decision to have a baby and sort of a bit of that journey. I had so many great questions that people submitted through my Instagram. So thank you so much to everyone. I will give you a content warning that this podcast is primarily discussing pregnancy, motherhood, childbirth a little bit, and also my lifelong um, fear of dying in childbirth. So if any of those topics are sensitive for you to listen to, please just skip this episode and hopefully you'll join us next week. Let's get started. Okay, the first question is sort of two similar questions I had, so I put them together. Have you always wanted kids? And did you always want to be a mom? Those kind of felt a little different to me and I'll explain why, but um, yes, I've always wanted to be a mom in the sense that I love to sort of like nurture and teach and care for someone. And I hoped that that meant human kids. Um, but I also have been able to sort of fill that need or desire in other ways, whether that was like teaching workshops, having a dog, that sort of thing. So I've always kind of wanted to be a mother, whether that was going to be my own children or just the cool aunt. Um, I was sort of open, but have I always wanted kids? Yes. Um, I used to ask my parents for a baby. Like I'd ask Santa for a baby sibling. Um, and when my parents had my youngest sister, Libby, I think I was like five ish. And I used to go take her out of her crib upstairs. Um, and I'd carry her all the way down the stairs. And my mom would be like, Oh my gosh, like, did she wake up? And I'm like, no, I just missed her. And she's like, okay, well, if you want to take her out, just, you know, let me help you carry her down the stairs. Um, but nope, I would just bring her everywhere. She was like my little doll. I even brought her to show and tell. 
So, I mean, I've always kind of been that person, the person that would end up with like a baby on an airplane or like in a fitting room, like, so someone could try on clothes. Um, so yeah, I've always been like the mother figure to like my friends and stuff too, as in (laughs) I'm kind of boring and not much of a risk taker. And I like to make sure everyone's taken care of. Um, but in my first marriage, I was really young and we had 12 nieces and nephews. So he was actually raised LDS or Mormon and had like really strong values. We also both didn't drink and I especially, well, both of us were kind of homebodies. Um, and he wasn't as young as me. He was like five or six years older. And so I kind of thought that we would start having a family relatively quickly. Um, and then our marriage wasn't great. And he actually told me he couldn't ever see himself having kids with me because I was way too selfish and that I would just be a terrible mom. So that was like really awful. Um, and it really messed with my psyche because when you're young and impressionable, you really believe the person you're married to, because obviously he knew me better than anyone else knew me and he knew me deeply. And so of course it was hard to differentiate what was true and what was false and what was his opinion and stuff. So that was really hard and really kind of messed with my identity for a while. Um, and then when he left me, I was obviously devastated. And my mom and some of my friends, I remember one of the earlier things they told me was like, you can still have kids on your own, which might seem wild to some people, but because they knew that was something really important to me, they wanted to make sure I knew that like, it wasn't out of the realm of possibility, whether I found someone or not, like you can still have a baby. But I spent a couple years after my divorce, really like learning to find happiness and joy and fulfillment sort of on my own or within myself. Um, that was really important to me. I didn't want kids to define me or be for me. I wanted to make sure I wasn't desiring children to sort of like fill a void somewhere. And I, I sort of understood the fragility of life in the sense that nothing is guaranteed, like a marriage, health, jobs. And so I wanted to make sure I could find happiness within myself and I didn't put that on external factors. I'm so ready emotionally, but less so financially and life-wise. How to feel more prepared? great question. Um, I actually used to work on the show Cash Cab and the host Adam Grow once told me that you'll never be fully ready. So if it's something you want to do, you just have to go for it, which is totally true and something I've thought about so much since then. But like no one's ever going to feel like they've traveled enough or have totally like all their ducks in a row and all the money they'll ever need to, you know, fund a whole child's life. But if you really want something, you just have to go for it because you can't wait for a 100% surefire sign that's like, now you're ready. Um, I think that when he told me that, that felt like very validating for me, mostly because at the time I wanted to tell my now ex 
um, because I think that I had already felt more ready and he didn't. So I wanted to be like, see, this guy says that you're never going to feel ready enough. So, but that was still really important advice to me. Um, another thing was that I just didn't really see having a child as an end to my life. I sort of figured that you could still travel, you can still have really cool experiences, you can still all do all those sorts of things with your baby. It just might look different. So was I ready financially? I mean, that's relative. What's the definition of financially ready, right? And to some people, I'm sure I would not be considered financially ready. I'm sure there are some people out there who have like fully funded savings accounts and RESPs and, you know, RRSPs. I don't even know. Um, and I'm sure to many other people who are in a different financial situation than me, I probably seemed extremely ready. So I don't know if you can put like paint one stroke as being financially ready. I think that's kind of just something you personally have to decide what that means to you. And if you're able to do it, I do think that if it's something you really want, you'll find a way to make it happen. Um, I always tell Lucas this with like time. I'm like, we all make time for things that are super important to us, whether it's like a Netflix show or scrolling TikTok or going to the gym, like you find time. So I feel like if it, if having a baby is something really important to you, you will find a way to make it happen. And I'm a really firm believer that the universe rewards those who make bold decisions. And I've seen that so many times in my life where I'll decide to make a big purchase, like a new camera, and it's maybe a little bit risky, but then honestly, like the next day I'll book a really incredible client project, which is just like, I'm like, thank you universe. And so I really felt like I was called to have a baby. Like the universe was like, you got this. And I just trusted that everything would work itself out. Because the thing about money is that you can always make more money, right? And even if you have a career, it's not a guarantee. So to me, it just didn't seem like the determining factor about whether or not I'd have a baby. For me, I really value time and health and presence. You can't buy those things. You can't buy more time, unlike money, which you can make more of. So I really wanted to make sure I considered my time and my health and the present moment. That was really important to me. And the pandemic, I mean, the pandemic was weird because it kind of made us all become forced homebodies. So I was worried that after a couple of years of being mostly at home, that I'd be like itching for adventure. But oddly enough, it kind of did the opposite. And it actually made me like fully love my life, even and especially the simple things, which in some ways made the newborn adjustment easier for me. I think I just have been able to have incredible friendships from the comfort of my home. I've been able to do some work in many cases from the comfort of my home. Same with my husband. I'm home more, which is so great for my dog. We've all found ways to like cook more or go on walks and work out at home. And so all those things were already put in place for me. So that helped me feel more life ready, I guess. 
what were the conversations you and Lucas had in deciding together? Early on in our relationship, I brought it up, and I mean like very early on. I'd come out of an almost like 10-year relationship and didn't like biologically have an option to go for another 10 years, which in hindsight didn't make total sense. But my brain at the time thought if I if it took me 10 years to find someone, date them, marry them, and be with them and still didn't have kids, I was thinking it would take another 10, which wasn't true, but it did make me want to keep the discussion at the forefront. So one of the first times we had like a really serious talk about kids was actually at our Airbnb in London, England on the rooftop. It was at night and we were just sitting outside. There were all these twinkly lights and that was in July of 2018. And we were talking about like our parents and I expressed wanting my parents to be able to have as much time with my potential offspring. And I wanted to have more time with them too. I mean, it sounds really kind of dark in some ways, but every year or month or day that I was waiting to have a baby was more time at the end of my life that I wouldn't have with them. So I kind of always thought like if I had kids younger, I'd get the most time with them. And that's really all you want. Once you have a kid, you want to have as much time on earth with them to love them and take care of them. I also felt like my lifestyle even then was pretty conducive to having children. I don't really like drink or party or I don't have like a super active social life. And like I said, I'm a homebody. So that was a bit easier. But I also really want to consider that the journey through fertility isn't always linear. And it took my mom several years to get pregnant with me. I've had many friends have to go through IVF, which if you're not familiar, is a pretty intense procedure to have medical assistance in getting pregnant. And so that was important to me to consider as well. But I also talked to Lucas and asked him if marriage was important. That was a big conversation we had, especially if marriage before a baby was important. So obviously I had been married before and I didn't really feel the need to get married again, but I didn't want to write it off for Lucas's sake. I've seen a lot of people who say like, oh, I'd never get married again. And while I totally respect that, I felt like my ex had taken so much from me already that I didn't want him to take potential joy from me and from Lucas. You know, it's not Lucas's fault. I had been previously married. And so if it was really important to him, I wanted to make sure I honored that. And I'm glad I asked because he said, yes, he said he would love to be married and it didn't necessarily have to be before having a baby, but logistically it just seemed the easiest because being pregnant or having a young baby, it's harder to take the time or make the time to get married. So we got talking about when and how like a wedding would go. So if you're new here, we eloped in Los Angeles on August 27th, 2019. And then we had a party one month later in Toronto, like a super, super small party. So if you back up a little bit before we got married to about December, 2018, we kind of had like this one year talk. So we'd, we'd start trying like Christmas of 2019. And it was really important to me that Lucas filled that year with as many things that were important to him before starting a family. 
And one of the things he wanted to do was build this like really fancy track bike because he didn't know if we would spend the money and time doing it after. So sure enough, both my my parents and I, we bought him the first parts to building his bike. And he did that. Still rides her every day. Um, we also went to Disney World with my whole family. I shot Alt Summit, that conference in Palm Springs. And we went to L.A. My sister got married in the mountains. We eloped and went up the coast of California. And then we spent New Year's in New York City and kind of started trying there and then COVID hit. So I actually got super anxious. I didn't want to go to any doctors or hospitals. I didn't want to add any strain to the healthcare system. So we held off for another several months. And yeah, we, I mean, we have the advantage of being a heterosexual cis couple, which means that our decision involves sex and like starting try starting to try for us is just like free and easy provided that we're able to do it and i also oh another thing i remember telling lucas that getting pregnant takes time and then staying pregnant and you know you leave room for knowing that things can always happen but even in a best case scenario you get pregnant and you're pregnant for like nine almost 10 months basically So from when you make that decision and get pregnant, you still have like almost a year before the baby's even here. It's, it's a slower process, even at the best of times. So I hope that answers your question. We had a lot of conversations, like, I mean, a lot for honestly a couple years and it was not a decision we took lightly. Have you ever considered not having kids at all? Yes. Um, the period of time during my divorce, I had a, I did a lot of like deep thinking. Like I said, I wanted to be fully happy on my own. And then I also had a lot of a lot of feelings when the pandemic started. So, you know, like the rest of the world, I was processing this global pandemic and the anxiety and uncertainty around all of that. I was also unpacking my privilege and learning all about like systemic racism and colonialism and just, you know, a lot of things that our country has hidden or not talked about in history. And, you know, the world and our country started to feel very divided, which felt very overwhelming too. You know, even in my own personal relationships, not many, thankfully, but there has been like political differences and the wedge has just grown. It it feels like if you're on one side or the other that you're like so, 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 so far apart now. And that's hard. And then, of course, I mean, like climate change. What state are we leaving this world for our children and that's really heavy. That's really hard. And it's something I still think about. And I hope that I've made the right decision. But yeah, it's hard feeling like you're bringing life into the world, into a world that's um, on fire, honestly, and like literally, in many places on fire. So one of the questions I would always ask myself is, isn't like, do I want a kid, but more so would a kid want to be here? And like, why was I having a kid? Is it to fill a void? And, you know, it may be really morbid to think about, but life and health are not guaranteed. 
I'm not having a kid to care for me when I'm older um, because a relationship with your adult children is also not guaranteed. Do I want a child no matter who they become? That was a question I was always asking myself. There's obviously like the easy ones. Is my child gay? Great. Queer? Great. Trans? Great. Non-binary? Great. Those are all super easy, no-brainer questions for us. But I also really had to think about, like, am I, if my child has a severe illness, am I equipped? Am I equipped to sacrifice everything to care for, like, a super high-needs child or a very medically you know, assisted child that has a lot of illnesses or, or things. Am I, if my child grows up to want nothing to do with me, am I okay with that? What if my child becomes an addict or a criminal? I even really like, I thought about like, do we need more straight white men? I mean, odds are if I have, have a man as a child, but statistically he's most likely going to be straight and he's definitely going to be white. So, I mean, I, I really thought about that. Like, am I equipped to raise a really good one? <laughs> this is like really heavy stuff. And, you know, most people are sort of picturing like what color eyes their baby's going to have. And I'm thinking about this. But, I mean, it really helped bring me clarity and be very realistic about how a family can look. And it also helped me prepare because I didn't want to picture my life with a baby looking a certain way when I really have no control. And I've seen it a lot where people put all these expectations, like the baby will be born in August. And then by October, we're going to like do this huge trip. And then by June of the following year, we're going to try to get pregnant again. And we're going to do this, that, and the other. And it's like, you have no idea. You have no idea if your baby will come early or late, be in the NICU. You'll know, have no idea how you'll recover or, what the baby's health, like that, those expectations that people put really overwhelmed me. And so I just kind of like surrendered to, you know, having no control, which is hard because I don't like being in a gray area. I like to have control, but it also helped prepare me. Did you ever consider what life would be like if you couldn't biologically have kids? Yes literally all the time. I'm obviously very fortunate that I was able to have Remy, but I never assumed that I could. Um, my mom took, like I said, my mom took several years to get pregnant with me and I've had many friends struggle with their fertility. So that was a very top of mind for me. And it was honestly one of the main reasons I was eager to start trying. I know that they say a healthy couple can take 12 months to even get pregnant, like the healthiest couple because if you think about it, 12 months is really only 12 chances. And then obviously having to consider if that doesn't work, you know, fertility treatments, freezing eggs or embryos, surrogates, adoption, like the process feels a bit long and daunting. And so I didn't want to look back and say, I wish I started earlier. And yeah, if the logistics and heartbreak and the cost of adoption weren't so overwhelming. I would love to adopt. Um, being pregnant was not specifically important to me and my baby being like my genetics was also not important to me. I mean, I do 
I am very, very fortunate to have like really good genetics health wise. So in that aspect, I was, you know, excited to potentially be able to reproduce. But I remember thinking like, if I can love my dog this much and like cry thinking about him, then I'm pretty sure I'm confident that I can love any baby. Like this baby would not have to come out of my vagina for me or like look like me or Lucas for me to love them like more than I'll ever love anything ever. So yes, I thought about life would be like if I couldn't biologically have kids. And I know there are so many like babies and children out there that need families. And that's still something I consider. And I do want to look more into that, especially like children. But I'm also grateful that I was able to carry a child on my own. How long did it take to get pregnant? Well, if you don't know this about me yet, you will quickly learn that I like to be very prepared and very early. So I started taking like 9 million supplements a few months, probably even like six months if I'm being honest, um, before we initially planned to start our family. So that was back in like mid-2019 I would have started. Um, so that ended up being like 18 months of vitamin prep. I also started going to acupuncture about six months before I got pregnant to sort of get my cycle in order and just make sure, um, my period was, you know, doing well and that my blood flow and my chi were ready I don't know if that those are all the right terms, but I go to the most incredible acupuncturist in Toronto. Her name is Anne of Energy Tree Studios. And honestly, she not only like physically prepared me for pregnancy, but mentally prepared me. She is a mother of now six children, and I believe she's had nine pregnancies. So she's had many, she has has had many personal experiences on all sides of like fertility, infertility, pregnancy, miscarriage, childbirth, motherhood. Um, and she really helped me feel like I could do it. So I will be forever indebted to her for that. And yeah, other things I did to sort of get ready was that I don't really drink anyway, but I think I stopped entirely while I was trying to get pregnant. I also did BBT, which is like your basal body temperature first thing in the morning, every morning. And I peed on these lovely little LH strips every day so that I could figure out exactly when I ovulated. So, I mean, I was pretty hardcore and not chill at all. Um, but because of all that and because of luck and whatever, it only took us about four months. What was the hardest part about being pregnant? I asked Lucas this and um, he said puking every day. <laughs> yes, that was hard. Um, or that my body wasn't mine anymore. I asked him to expand on that and he said that everything was a threat or like it felt like a threat. Um, baths couldn't be too hot. I was worried like I, I would like heat the baby up. Um and then like lots of foods felt like they were going to make me sick. I couldn't keep anything down. 
I didn't know how well I would fare if I got the Delta wave in COVID. Um, so it's true. Like things felt like a threat. He also added, which is funny. He just kept thinking of things. So clearly pregnancy was not easy on me. He's like, Oh, what about this and this and this, but this one is super real. He said that it was like a slow burn to my lifelong fear of dying in childbirth. Yes, this is very heavy, but yeah, since I was a kid, I've had this lingering fear that I would die due to complications in childbirth. And so that's a really weird thing to be reconciling with when you're about to give birth and throughout your whole pregnancy, but especially as it grew nearer to the actual event. Um, so that was very real for me. I had a full on plan in place with Lucas and some of my close friends, you know, just in case, which is so wild, but brought me peace. Um, and yeah, I bawled my eyes out leaving Saunders to go to the hospital, you know, just in case. Um, and, and interestingly, a medium told me that I must have died in childbirth in a past life. And I also wonder if it's somehow connected to my maternal grandmother because her first son was a stillbirth. So he died full term, like 40 weeks or whatever with the umbilical cord around his neck, um, which was, you know, 68 or something like 70 years ago now. Um, and so that's obviously heartbreaking, but I wonder if some of that trauma was like passed in my genes. Not sure. Um, but what I really tried to do was shift my focus from dying in childbirth to accepting that a part of me was going to die in childbirth as like I birthed a new me through all of that. And I was hoping that that's just what like, I, I am hoping that as a child, I understood the brevity of childbirth and that I was somehow able to understand that a part of you does die in childbirth, the part of you, you knew, you know of yourself. But for me, I would say one of the biggest challenges was the pandemic. And if you follow me on Instagram, this is going to sound like a broken record, but I got pregnant before the COVID vaccines were recommended in pregnancy. And then the information was constantly changing. It was like, if you're high risk, get the vaccine because COVID's worse than the vaccine. But no one was really saying that the vaccine was safe. It was just like, the risk of COVID is greater than the risk of the vaccine. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Are both of them a risk though? Like, should I just avoid both for now? And so that was really overwhelming for me. But yeah, the constant change in the information, plus the Delta wave was disproportionately affecting pregnant folks. Plus the fact that I was like so sick. Like I couldn't keep anything down except mashed potatoes from a box. Um, like, come on, like good old Betty Crocker mashed potatoes. And that made me feel very vulnerable. And that also made me feel like the baby was very vulnerable. Spoiler alert, she wasn't. She was doing great. She was super happy, healthy. Everything was fine. But when you're throwing up so much, you do not feel like your body would handle COVID very well. And to piggyback on what Lucas said about my body not being mine, normally a vaccine and a sickness like COVID, I imagined my, you know, body would do well. I had no comorbid comorbidities. Is that the word? I was trying to sound smart and I don't even know if I said it right. Um, but I didn't have any other 
illnesses that would make my immune system less. I'm not immunocompromised. I don't have any chronic illnesses. So normally when I'm not pregnant, I would have, I would have assumed that I would have been likely okay with COVID, but throw in being immunocompromised because did you know that in pregnancy, your immune system has to be suppressed so that you don't reject the baby, which is why so many pregnant people were ending up in the ICU. So anyway, I basically holed up and isolated and stayed home almost my entire pregnancy. I went on so many walks, hence the birth of the this podcast, basically. And Lucas and I did nothing. We only went to appointments and did things outside very safely. And we still, we still actually kind of do, but I would say that was probably my biggest challenge in pregnancy. Did you take any birth prep courses? Yes. Our amazing midwives recommended one with a doula. It was called preparing for an empowering birth with this woman named Sasha. It was all virtual just given the pandemic, but most people were local. So we've kind of stayed in touch with some of them and we want to do a meetup sometime. So that was really fun. And that helped me shift a lot of my mindset from fear to excitement We also bought an online course from a website called Tiny Hood, and you just kind of go through the modules at your own pace. Lucas went through the whole thing and well, I didn't, (laughs) I, uh, I, life just started to get busy at the end, but thankfully I'm obsessed with knowing everything. Maybe it's the Gemini, maybe it's just the anxiety. We don't know, but I watched a million births and the great thing about preparing for childbirth is Instagram knows that you're uh, preparing for childbirth and you see every doula video, every, you know, doctor, midwife, anyone who's posting about pregnancy, childbirth, whatever. So I asked so many friends. I, you know, I did the other course and I read Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. So I think we felt, I mean, we felt as prepared as you can be going into the most life-changing, strange, exhilarating, overwhelming event of your entire life. Is there anything else you wish you would have done or not done in preparing for Remy? The only thing I can really think of is just trusting my body more. I, I spent so much time wondering if my skincare products were okay, my hair care products, nail polish, You know, I stopped bleaching my hair. I stopped eating so many things. I really did feel like so many things were a threat. And I was, I I let that take over sometimes. And I, I think if I ever do get pregnant again, that I will almost laugh at my old self. I mean, that's what I needed to do at the time. And I'm very grateful that I was really careful and that I care so much about things. But I also understand a lot more now that like one piece of deli meat is probably not going to be the end of the world. Same with like good quality sushi. I mean, there's so many things that I worried so much about that the worry was probably less helpful or less healthy than the actual thing. So that'd probably be the only thing I would have changed. How do you navigate uncertain times while parenting from the cost of living to climate change? 
Well, this is a really getting into it. <laughs> I mean, I want to preface this with like, I'm not an expert at all. I've literally been a parent for nine months and everyone's experience is so unique to them that like, there's no sort of like one size fits all anyway. But for me, the things that are really important to me is taking it one day at a time. I'm learning that like Remy is constantly changing. So when you think you have a hold on something, sleep, breastfeeding, whatever, it's like in a week, it can be totally different. So just accepting a constant state of change and just really learning to embrace the changes has been really helpful for me. I also am extremely confident in my boundaries and I'm declaring that and being really proud of that because I spent the first, you know, 27 years of my life as like a total like pushover pleaser. And now I'm the person that I used to be like kind of scared of and intimidated by. But yeah, we've said no a lot. We've said no to a lot of events. We've like Lucas has missed a lot of bachelor parties, birthday parties, bigger events. I've missed a couple weddings, just lots of things. But for me, I'm very driven by the love I have for like my nuclear family. Like I love my other family and I love my friends who are family, but my priority is my nuclear family, Lucas, Remy, and Saunders. And so that has been really helpful in setting the boundaries. I also stay very present because yes, if you go down the climate change rabbit holes, it's very depressing and very heartbreaking. And I remember my sister telling me that if the only people who make babies are the ones who are like Trump supporters or people who don't believe in climate change or whatever, then how is the world ever going to get better? So that helped me. I control what I can and I sort of like surrender to the rest. So yes, I am of course extremely worried about climate change, but if no one who cares about climate change reproduces, then I feel like we're in a more dire situation. So I guess I just try and remain hopeful, which maybe sounds naive, but without hope we have nothing. And I mean, I'm already in it now, so I have to remain hopeful. And as for cost of living, I totally get it. I mean, I live in Toronto, which is one of the most expensive cities in North America, or at least Canada. And I have the privilege, which I understand is a privilege, of trusting that the universe will all work out, like I've said before. And I trust that I can give Remy a beautiful, love-filled, safe, supported life, regardless of how wealthy I am, I guess. And I know that is extremely privileged of me to say, but I'm not so worried yet about a lot of the material stuff because I know that Remy's going to be okay. And I sort of wish I had better answers to that question. I'm sorry. If I could solve the world's problems, I mean, I obviously really would. Where did you give birth? So I labored at home for about 16 hours. And then, I mean, it started slow and then got progressively more intense because it's nice to be home. I had Saunders. I braided one side of my hair, eventually got to the other, but I had like my own stuff, my own bathroom, my own shower, that kind of thing. And then I went to St. Joe's Hospital in Toronto and I chose the hospital because 
I wanted to have access to any medical interventions that I might need. And, you know, having a fear of dying childbirth, a hospital seemed like a good fit. And my incredible midwives were still able to be there and deliver her. So it was the best of both worlds for me. Although, side note, I've since learned that St. Joe's is part of a Catholic hospital chain, which means that there's some things I politically strongly disagree with, but I can't change that. So that's okay. What's your birth story? I feel like this could be (laughs) its own episode, Um, but I'm still trying to decide how much I want to share and how much I want to keep sacred for Remy. So I I don't know. I'm such an oversharer in every other aspect of my life, but I'm just not sure if I'm ready for the world to know how she got here before she's old enough to know herself. And I kind of know that like once you put it out there, you can't take it back. So I'm really trying to be mindful of that decision. Um, I will say that my labor was long. It was like 26 hours, which actually is nothing special, nothing out of the ordinary. I think first births are typically or often long. I had like crippling back labor, which was really hard. I couldn't, you know, I had all these things planned with positions and Lucas helping offset some of the pain and hot showers. And I just, I couldn't do anything. I basically just had to stand stiff and erect because the pain never really eased up the way like normal contractions kind of do. But that being said, she joined us earthside with the help of midwives, my doula. And then Lucas even got to catch her with his bare hands, which is so amazing. And she didn't even cry. It was like, it's so incredible. It was calm and hard, exhausting, beautiful, magical, painful, fun, and just like so sacred and special. And my focus was to keep like very peaceful and calm and happy energy. And that was my only goal. My only goals were just to stay really like peaceful and joyful and have like really beautiful energy in the room and to not die. So it was a, it was a raging success. And I got a perfect baby out of the, out of it in the end. And a lot of stitches all the way to my butthole. Can you share a bit about your postpartum back to it, i.e. exercise and bouncing back attitude? Honestly, I don't even think bouncing back has even like crossed my mind at all. I'm nine months postpartum right now and only recently have even attempted to try on any of my pre-baby clothes. And it was more just because I was packing and needed like some outfits Things that have helped me building a wardrobe in advance. So long before I even got pregnant, I sort of started wearing like oversized sustainable jumpsuits. And if I was buying something really intentional, which is how I try and shop, I tried to buy things that I'd still love and would fit me like even as my body changes, whether that's pregnancy or just like growing up and aging and like things shifting and getting softer. So that was really helpful because no matter what, when I look at my closet, I've had things that have fit like even at nine months pregnant, that's how oversized my jumpsuits are. So that was really important. And then buying a few staples after the baby is born, there's nothing worse than like trying to squeeze into something that doesn't fit. You just don't feel good about yourself. 
but having even like a pair of jeans that just fit you exactly as you are is so amazing. And you just feel better, obviously. I did realize I had a lot of thin privilege because before having a baby, especially because I went to Nordstrom and I couldn't even get jeans. Like they just said in the store, we don't go higher than a 30. So that was extremely disheartening because I was still like a thin person. So I've learned a lot more and still have a lot more to learn. But if you have the privilege of being able to buy a few staples after giving birth, that is so key because then you just don't even have to look at your pre-baby clothes because if you don't have to look at them, they won't make you sad. You can just focus on your clothes that are comfortable. Another important thing to me has been trying to set a really good example for my baby. So Lucas and I have a no negative self-talk about our bodies, especially for Remy's sake. We don't want her growing up thinking that we don't like our bodies. And I, I've i seen a lot of times where like the birthing parent or the mother often says things like, look what you did to my boobs. And I know they mean it in like a lighthearted way, but I just, I really don't want Remy to grow up thinking that growing her had any negative effects on me and my relationship with my body. So that's been really important to me. But also trusting that my body is the least interesting thing about me. That is key. Because honestly, no one cares what your body looks like, especially after you have a baby. And even if you aren't the person who birthed the baby, maybe you are one of the parents or you adopted or whatever, but your body still might change. Like raising a baby is really hard and tiring and your lifestyle is totally different. So yeah, I think that just learning that no one really cares what your body looks like. I'm People are here to check in on your well-being and your baby and yeah, just not worrying so much about it. I've also never associated the look of my body to my worth, which again, I'm sure I had the privilege of being in a thin person's body. And I was also a dancer, so that was challenging. But my insecurities are deep and they stem from like not being pretty. But the one advantage that I had was that it made me work on being like funny and interesting. I kind of like grew up never thinking I was like the pretty one. So I worked really hard to be the funny one or like the interesting one. Is it hard to look in the mirror sometimes? Yes, especially naked. But I also like grew another person inside me, pushed her out and I fed her for nine months, which like even if you don't birth the human or feed them, like I said, caring for them is no small feat. So yeah, I feel pretty badass. But in terms of exercise, very slow and I've put no pressure on myself. I tried to do like a, a class at home, literally called the class probably about 10 weeks postpartum. And I really hated that my organs felt out of place, which like makes no sense unless you've been pregnant, but all of your organs have to move to make room for a baby. And then they like take a long time to go back into their spots. And I don't think people really tell you that. And you just wonder why your stomach feels really like hollow. Your abs aren't there, but you don't know where they are. And for someone, like I said, I was a dancer. So I used to be very in tune with my body, but after having a baby and you're just like, I feel like a wild card right now. Like, I don't know what's where, but yeah, I haven't really done any other workouts. I walk a lot. I know you know that, but I love to walk 
And I did the grouse grind in Vancouver once with Remy on my back. So that's about it for now. And I'm really honestly in no rush. After all, I conquered my biggest fear. So I think I deserve some grace. How did you pick the name Remy and why Shibata? So before we even knew if she was a boy or a girl, I had this like strong feeling suddenly in the shower one day that she was going to be a girl and her name would be Remy Jane. So we knew we wanted a neutral first name because no matter who Remy grows up to be, we hope her name might fit. Um, Whether she's like a girly girl or non-binary, trans, whatever. Um, Between Remy, RJ, Remy Jane, there are hopefully options that might work for her. And then Jane is my mom's middle name, so it's a special homage to the most selfless person we know, my mom. And yeah, Shibata, so that's obviously my last name. And it goes back to a few years ago when Lucas and I were having some of those big discussions. We were walking along the beach in Venice, and we were talking about my paternal grandmother, who was had recently had a stroke and was not doing well. And we knew she would be passing away soon. And I just sort of started talking about how like no one in my family was really carrying on the name because most of my cousins that had babies were females and they were already married and changed their last name. And so there just weren't really any Shabbatas carrying on the name. There was like one or two. And that kind of made me sad because we are the only Shibatas in Canada. Like any Shibata you meet is in some way related to us. So I remember expressing that to Lucas and I remember getting kind of emotional about it. And we talked about how, like, what would it be like if our future child took Shibata as their last name? And Lucas was like surprisingly really receptive which was amazing and so kind. He's wonderful. But I thought about it and like for non-hetero couples, these kinds of conversations are conversations. There's no assumption. So why should we assume? Why should we just follow what the patriarchy had told us? And I wanted to at least have a conversation around that. And Lucas's last name is Young and he doesn't really have like strong familial ties to it. They don't know a ton about like their lineage and his dad has like some brothers who have sons and Lucas has a brother and his brother has two sons with the Young last name. So that name was already going to be living on and going strong. So we decided to use Shibata and we are really happy we did. She is Remy Jane Shibata. Okay, the last question. How do you drown out negativity in motherhood? It's funny, Lucas told me that I've been preparing for this my whole life. Uh, He's like sort of joking, but not really. But it's true that one thing that helped me is that I over-prepare. So nothing surprises me, and it's allowed me to like stay calm in every situation. I also kind of always prepare for the worst, which maybe that's not the best word to use, but I prepare for the worst case scenario so that if that happens, I'm prepared and I can accept it really easily. And if it doesn't, I'm very pleasantly surprised. So my expectations for pregnancy, childbirth, postpartum, and early motherhood 
were very low. Like I set a very low bar. I didn't expect breastfeeding to work. I didn't expect to get any sleep. I expected my baby to cry all the time, but that allowed for a lot of preparation and low expectations. And so we didn't make a lot of plans following because we didn't know what to expect and therefore we weren't disappointed. We were actually pleasantly surprised, which was really amazing. But I also, in doing this podcast, I realized that I have a superpower, which is basically zero FOMO, like zero. I've obviously had to miss tons of things with like the pandemic and pregnancy and motherhood. And yeah, I I honestly feel almost nothing when I have to miss it because I think I'm just so in love with my little family that I just don't mind. And lastly, I'm like extremely grateful for this and sometimes hard to talk about this because I know that this is not the experience for many, many, many people. And I almost feel guilty saying, I mean, I do feel guilty saying this, but I have like this inherent ability to have my default be gratitude. And it's not something I have to work hard for at all. I'm so fortunate that my brain just is extremely positive and grateful. And so in challenging moments, when breastfeeding was excruciatingly painful and my nipples were bleeding and, you know, the sleepless nights, Remy was not a great sleeper, all those things, I just kept thinking about how grateful I am for this experience. When Remy used to cry in the night, even if it had only been an hour, somehow my sleep-deprived brain still went to gratitude. I just kept thinking, I'm so glad she's still alive. I'm so glad she's here. I'm so glad I didn't die in childbirth. And I'm so glad she's just crying to tell me she needs me. And I realized that that's, again, not the experience for everyone. But I also always try and remember that feelings are fleeting. So they move through us like waves, which means we want to hang on to the good ones because they're going to they're gonna disappear, but it also means that the bad ones and the hard ones and the painful ones will too. And I just remember thinking, you know, whenever Remy cries in the night, I'm just like, one day she's going to call me like once a week if I'm lucky when she's older. Oh, this makes me want to cry. And so like right now I will get up in the night as many times as she wants me to because she's not going to need me forever. If I'm lucky, if I'm lucky for us to both grow old and grow up, she won't need me forever. And so that's really helped me stay super, super present. Wow, I didn't expect to cry. But yeah, I just, I can't believe I'm responsible for someone's life. It's like a privilege I do not take lightly, ever. And she has no idea that she is the center of my whole universe. And I just really feel so grateful for every moment with her. Um, I've never felt such a presence before, like I have since having Remy. And I think that is the, that is the best place to end this episode. So thank you so much for listening. And thank you for submitting the questions. And thank you to Lucas course and Mike Halleck for the music and Alyssa for always helping me with my segments and my podcast and 
please remember to stay in touch on Instagram at Finding Sparkle Chasing Light to be able to join our community and ask questions next time. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify if you can. And remember, you can only meet someone as deep as you've met yourself. That's our show. See you next week. 